with me in honor of God's word, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14, Matthew 14. Matthew 14, if you're there, say amen. Don't lie in church, if you're there, say amen. <laughs> Matthew 14, look at 22. It says, immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I am here. Father in heaven, I ask that you would show us the significance of these verses that don't seem real Christmassy. But there's a truth here for us. And God, I thank you. I thank you that you did so love the world that you sent your only son that, yes, a child was born, but a son was given, your son. And so, Father, reveal truths about Jesus in your word, because who Jesus is, is everything to us as Christians. Father, thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. In this series, we've been making a strong case for Christmas why should we celebrate Christmas? Why should Christians celebrate Christmas? Because I know that there are some believers that choose not to. And so the first two weeks, we've been building a very strong case concerning Christmas that it's all about the incarnation. It's all about God becoming man. So why did I choose this portion of Scripture? What an unusual portion of Scripture to read during the Christmas season. I did because it holds a powerful truth about Jesus being God. Did you notice in Matthew 14, 27, and you'll also find a similar passage in Mark 6, 50, but in Matthew 14, 27, we read here, Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. I am here. See, the original language doesn't say I am here. No, the original language says, I am. Take courage, I am. And why is that so important? It's so important because it is a declaration of Jesus' deity. It's a declaration of Jesus being God. Let me show you this in Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. Look at verse 14. This is Moses at the burning bush. Moses says, you know, look, if I, if I, if I go to the people, then who shall I say sent me? You know, what should I tell him his name is? And in verse 14, God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am 
has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. So whenever you see Jesus say, I am in the New Testament, it is a direct reference to the burning bush. That was Jesus that was speaking to Moses out of the burning bush. And that very same Jesus is now in the flesh speaking to the disciples. And he's not saying, look, I'm, I'm here. Everything's going to be okay. He's saying, I am. End of story. I am. Your creator is with you in the boat. I am. I am is here. Your creator came walking to you on the water. I am. I am here. It's a direct reference to Jesus's deity. Because what good is Christmas if it is not about the incarnation, if it's, if it's not about God becoming man? It's everything. It's everything to you and I as believers. Jesus is declaring that the same God that spoke to Moses out of the burning bush is speaking to you now. Let's look at another truth. Go to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. Look at 38. Last verse, Mark 8, 38. It says, If anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. One of the most common expressions that Jesus uses for himself in the Synoptic Gospels, which means, you know, of the same view, is Son of Man. But if Jesus is fully God, if Jesus is fully God, then why would he call himself the Son of Man? I mean, why would he use that expression if he's, if he's fully God? Why would he say the Son of Man? Is it, uh, is it an expression so that you would also know that he's fully man too? I want to present a stronger case for you. Go to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel 7. Look at 13, Daniel 7, 13. It says, as my vision continued that night, I saw someone like a son of man. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the ancient one and was led into his presence. He was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It'll never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. Dr. William Lane Craig states, Son of man is often thought to indicate the humanity of Jesus, just as the reflex expression, Son of God, indicates his divinity. In fact, just the opposite is true. The Son of Man was a divine figure in the Old Testament book of Daniel who would come at the end of the world to judge mankind and rule forever. Thus, the claim to be the Son of Man would be, in effect, a claim to divinity. I love the fact that when Jesus is saying Son of Man, he's saying the very one that Daniel saw in the vision, I am. The very one that Daniel saw in the vision, that Son of Man, that's who, that's who I am. 
these expressions in the New Testament out of Jesus' own mouth are a declaration of his divinity. They're a declaration that I am God. I am the God of the burning bush. I am the God in Daniel's vision. I am God. That's what these expressions mean. That's why they're so critical. And I can't think of a better time of the year than Christmas to declare Jesus as God. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. I've heard it said that Jesus is the Son of God, but he's not God the Son, which makes no sense to me. How could he be? Jesus isn't some created being by God. Or how could he have taken the sins of the world on himself? And why would he be worshipped in heaven like Revelation depicts him being worshipped? He's God. He's God, and he himself said that he was God in more than just the obvious ways. When he said, I am, he was God. When the soldiers came to get him in Luke's gospel and arrest him, they said, are you Jesus of Nazareth? I am, and they fell back. Why? Because it was a declaration of his deity. Again and again and again in scripture, if you're looking for it in the New Testament, you will see Jesus declaring, I am God. I am God. I am God. If you haven't read it yet, investigative journalist Lee Strobel, his book, The Case for Christmas, I grabbed an excerpt of it. It says, yes, Christmas is a holiday overlaid with all sorts of fanciful beliefs, from flying reindeer to Santa Claus gliding down chimneys. But I became convinced that if you really drill down to its core, Christmas is based on a historical reality, the incarnation, God becoming man, spirit taking on flesh, the infinite entering the finite, the eternal becoming time-bound. It's a mystery backed up by facts that I now believed were simply too strong to ignore. I love that. Go to John chapter 1 with me. John chapter 1. There's not a gospel that declares Jesus is God more than John, and John does it right from the beginning. You don't get a lineage in the beginning of John's gospel. John jumps right into it, and John doesn't play around, and I love John's gospel. I'm going to read 10, 10 through 15. I love the way the New Living words it. It says, he came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. John testified about him when he shouted to the crowds, this is the one that I was talking about when I said someone is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. And any of you who know the Bible know that John the Baptist was older than Jesus and was born before him. So when John the Baptist is saying that he was that he was that he existed long before me John was that was a declaration that he knew that Jesus was God because if it was just merely from a human standpoint John was born before Jesus was but when he said he existed long before me he was settling it once and for all how amazing 
that is. John spells it out that Jesus is God's Savior. The Word became, become flesh. In order for you and I to become Christians, we acknowledge that Jesus is God. We invite him into our heart. We trust him for, for our salvation. And I know that this is a busy time of year, but I'm asking that you take the opportunity to draw people's attention to the songs that we sing this time of the year, that you would draw people's attention to scripture that declare that Jesus is God. See, that separates the, the true religion from false religion. That separates false beliefs from Christianity. It all revolves around Jesus Christ. That's the sticking point. That's the sticking point, and it'll always be the sticking point. Who's Jesus? Man, somebody with a white shirt and a black tie comes knocking on my front door. I immediately jump into a conversation about Jesus. Who's Jesus? Well, he was, he was a teacher. He was a prophet. See, I believe that he was God. So you can be those things without being God. I believe that he was God. And when I invited Jesus into my heart, he forever changed my life. I went from smoking weed and snorting coke and sleeping around to a life that's been changed by God, called into the ministry. I'm a life that's been changed. Jesus Christ changed my life. And isn't it amazing in a conversation how one of the most difficult things for us to say is, is Jesus as if we're really going overboard and if we're really becoming a Jesus freak if we use Jesus' name because there's power to it because it settles, settles things once and for all and when the name of Jesus is spoken it just kind of changes the conversation it goes from God to you know I believe I believe you know well Jesus is my my God Jesus is my Lord and Savior all of a sudden the conversation takes a twist and a turn all of a sudden, it gets personal. All of a sudden, it seems like sides are being drawn and taken. All of a sudden, people realize that there's a decision that needs to be made for one to call themselves a believer. There's a decision, not just that God exists, not whether or not they believe in God. It's more of, I have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. He is my Lord, and he is my Savior. All of a sudden, it's personal. All of a sudden, it's personal. That's why when we pray to the Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Because it's powerful. And this Christmas, Christ is in the name. I can't stand happy holidays. Um, I want a Merry Christmas. I want it to be about Jesus Christ. And I don't ever want it to be about anything more than Jesus Christ. And we celebrate Christmas in our house. We got a Christmas tree. We don't see it as an idol. We're not bowing down before it and burning candles all around it or anything like that. I think, though, the reason for the season is always going to be going to be Jesus. And I believe that Christmas is a time for decisions to be made. This Christmas Eve will mark 34 years that I invited Jesus into my heart. I love this time of the year. It's when my life was changed. I loved Christmas even before I became a Christian, but I loved it even more after I became a Christian. It truly is the most wonderful time of the year. And I believe that there is something about Christmas that pulls on people's hearts if they'll just take the time to look a little bit deeper, just like Moses at the burning bush, turned aside to see this great sight, and then God spoke to him. People have to be willing to turn towards God for him to speak to them, speak to their hearts. And so what I want to offer 
is an opportunity for you to invite Jesus in your heart if you've never done that before. Because I tell you what, when I did it, it changed everything, everything for me. And I went from this guy that was just hanging out and partying all the time to a life that was changed by God. And I'll never forget that Christmas Eve 34 years ago. Never forget it. And I'm so grateful that when I invited Jesus into my heart, that it was a work that began in me. And I love what Philippians 1, 6 says, I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it. Will complete it. We're all works in progress when we invite Jesus into our heart. We work out our salvation with fear and trembling. The work began. I believe salvation happens in a moment, but sanctification is a lifetime. And it's a process that we all walk out, and we're in varying degrees. And we don't compare ourselves among ourselves. The Bible says that's not wise. We're not looking down our noses or we're not looking up to anyone. We're all in a relationship with the living God and we're working that out. But for those that have not entered into a relationship with the living God, I challenge you today. Why did Jesus come to earth? Was it so that we could build churches? Was it so that we could have songs to sing this time of the year that we chose to honor Jesus' birth, I realized that it probably wasn't December 25th. Why? Why would God send his only son so that we could just do those things, so we could write songs about him, so that we could find churches to attend? Or is there a bigger picture? Is there a bigger reason? I say that there is. He wants a relationship with you. Jesus came to make a way where there wasn't one. Jesus came so that we would know that there is a God in heaven, that he's alive, and that he wants relationship with us. And God, through Jesus, initiated that relationship. I'll come to you. I'll come to you. I'll live among you. I'll give my life for you. I'll come to you. And isn't it amazing, out of all the things that we need to do to have this relationship with God, all we need to do is simply believe, simply invite Jesus into our hearts. 34 years ago on New Year's Eve, I would have been doing anything but being in church. In fact, my brother-in-law was so concerned that I would go hang out with my buddies and bring in the new year in an old way that he said, man, why don't you stay with us, man, and we'll go and uh, we'll, uh, we'll go get you a new Bible. And I said, man, that'd be awesome. I'm so grateful that he did. I don't know. I don't know if I had a, if my buddies would have chased me down and I would have spent that night partying. I just know that what happened to me was real. And it helps to have some people around you that'll say, hey, how about this year? Hey, how about, how about, how about you come, you come to church? Hey, don't you think it's time you made a decision? Haven't we been skirting the issue long enough? Don't you think it's time that you made a decision for Jesus Christ? And so I want to pray.